Today are our minds are on our mission team that are serving in Uganda. Uh, this weekend they did a widow's conference for those in uh, the region around Kampala. And uh, starting tomorrow they're going to be doing a VBS for about at least 400 kids we hear of. There's seven people going to be chasing 400 kids uh, around town. So that's going to be interesting. Um, please keep them in your prayers today. You know, it, uh, as, as I think about that, I think about th- there's a remote arid desert uh, in Namibia and South Africa, on the far southwest corner of the continent of Africa. And in that place, far from civilization, is found a strange and almost unheard of kind of stone. In fact, it's so hidden and so unusual that for uh, up until 200 years ago, it had never been officially discovered. It was Someone reached down into the dirt and picked up what they thought was a curiously shaped little pebble and found out that it was actually alive. It was a plant, actually. And even to this day, those plants are called, as you see in this picture, living stones. They only grow natively in this one little corner of the world. In fact, that picture's on the screen because you can't probably see in this pot. There are several of them. But these little living stones only grow in the arid desert of Namibia and South Africa. And they only grow to about a half inch to an inch tall. And they only ever grow to maybe two to three inches wide at max. But those little guys live 40 to 50 years. And there are over 150 varieties of them of all different colors. Every color that you can imagine. They adapt to their environment to survive and to protect themselves from plant-eating animals that are looking for water by hiding themselves in plain sight. Some plants here in our desert southwest, they grow spines in order to survive, right? Other plants, they are toxic if they are eaten. But these little guys, they blend themselves into their environment so well that it's difficult for animals or even the trained human eye to see them. They have this amazing capacity to hold water. In fact, these guys are only, only this big, but almost their whole, uh, the whole plant is designed to hold water. In times of drought, they store enough water in themselves for months as they shrink below the soil to protect themselves. Yet in times of abundant rain, once they are mature enough, their leaves separate and bloom And beautiful little spice-scented white, yellow, orange, and red flowers come out of them. It's an amazing little creation. Almost unknown to the rest of the world, yet created by the detailed, loving hand of God. Today we're going to conclude our series on living stones and our time together with these little guys in mind because... See if you agree with me. I think it's easy for us to see our little lives, the ways we choose to live out our days, as fairly insignificant. We assume that we're not capable of anything that will make that much of a difference in this world or other people's lives. And many times we're also afraid that sometimes we'll be attacked or laughed at because of our faith. So all these... uh, Things, all these conditions just make it easy for us to hide ourselves and to hold on to our life-giving water from God 
Even though what he's given us, his, his love and his truth, can turn those who are dead into living stones and, and give them an incredible life, an eternal life. We are called, guys, to be living stones, but we're not made to hide or to shrink back. As God's beloved, he sees us as his own special possession. He sets us apart and gives us unrestricted access to himself so that we can proclaim, that, so that we can show others his goodness and his love. I want to encourage you to turn with me once more to 1 Peter chapter 2 in your Bibles this morning. And again, if you don't have your Bibles, you can uh, turn in your smartphones to uh, mygrace.church in a web browser and click on the Messages tab there, and you can follow along with us in the Scriptures there this morning. I'm going to start by just going back to verse 5 and picking up where we left off last week. Listen to these words. Peter writes, And you are building stones that God is building into a spiritual house. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. Then he says they, they stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. What Peter's saying here is that once we place our faith and trust in Christ, we start to understand this crazy plan God has for this world. <laughs> to create a people who can choose to love him or to reject him in this life. That plan centers around Jesus who makes it possible for us to be accepted by God when we say yes to him. When we say yes and we make Christ the center of our lives, he becomes our cornerstone. And he leads us on an adventure in life that has no comparison to anything else this world has to offer us. Those who reject Christ, it says, they don't hinder God's plan one bit. They really stumble through parts of their life and ultimately they live into the fate that they choose for themselves. Regardless of where you are this morning in your own spiritual journey, this is what I know about you. God's loving hand is closely on your life and he's inviting you to become fully alive. Let's look at verse 9. He says, But you aren't like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness and into His wonderful light. 
Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy. Now you received God's mercy. You know, over the years, I have talked with you a lot about how God sees you and how He wants you to see yourself. How He defines your life, not based on what you do or what you have or what other people say about you, but that He's, we've been encouraged to see ourselves as God sees us, as His beloved child. You know, I love what Peter says here to us because he's basically unpacking for us what it means to be God's beloved, to be his child. And he, he says here, if you were noticing in verse, verse 9, he says what it means to be God's beloved child is that we are chosen, that we are royal, that we are holy, and that we are his. So let's just take maybe 10 minutes here and just kind of walk through those four things. I think this is amazing what Peter is trying to explain to us if we see it. The first thing he says here is that we are chosen. So, in other words, you have tremendous value to God. You know, we tend to think that we choose God. And we do. But only because He chose us and He chose to give us that choice. Henry Nouwen once said, We were chosen by God long before anyone else ever did. And he said, The eyes of love see us as precious, of infinite value and beauty. You know, in the world we live in today, being chosen usually means that someone else isn't chosen, right? You get chosen for a job, that means someone else doesn't get that job. You get chosen for a scholarship or get chosen to attend a prestigious university and someone else doesn't get what you received. But God doesn't operate that way, does He? In fact, He doesn't have to. All those who invite God into their lives are chosen. God is not some distant, uncaring deity. But he's one who wants to have a relationship with you even more than you ever want it with him. So when we realize that we are chosen by the God of the universe, even how we see ourselves and the value that we place in our own lives changes. Everything changes. Being chosen also means that we are royal. Peter says that we have, in other words, we have unrestricted access to God. Peter says actually here that we are royal priests. Now, you you may have heard me talk about this a little bit last week. In Old Testament times, before the time of Jesus, there were only certain people who were priests and had unlimited access to God, who had any access to God. Most people didn't. But today, all those who invite Christ into their lives are part of God's family. And as such... They are treated as royalty before God with unrestricted access 24-7. That is so easy for us to take for granted, isn't it? To not see as that big of a deal. But think about this for a moment. Imagine that for whatever reason, you had unrestricted access today to the President of the United States. 
at any time, at any place. It didn't matter where he was in the world or what he was doing. No one had access like that but you. You had this access to bend his ear at any time and he would drop everything to hear what you had to say. You'd think, that's crazy, right? That never happened. And it doesn't. Historically, no one really has had access to a president like that except whom? His family. His kids. And that is the privilege that you have as God's kid to the God who created you, the God of the universe, 24 hours a day. Never once is he too busy for you. And he loves you so much, he longs for those moments. How do you use that access that you have to God? Do you use it? Because listen, Peter also says that you are holy, which means that you are set apart for a special use. To be holy means to be set apart, but it doesn't mean to be separated from. Peter makes this really clear here. In fact, if you look down in verses 11 and 12, he reminds us that we're to live out our lives before non-Christians all the time. We're not to put ourselves in a little Christian bubble, hang out, hang out with this, our own little Christian community, but that we're to live our lives in such a way before others in the world around us that whether they agree with our lifestyle or not, whether they agree with our following of Christ or not, doesn't matter, but that we... People would look into our lives and they would see Jesus. Being holy comes from a thirst, from a desire to know God more. Scott McKnight said this. He said, Peter's calling his people to a lifestyle that begins and ends with holiness. And that's not just a call to read your Bibles or pray or to follow some Christian virtues. He says, it's a thirst It's a a drive to know God in His fullness and to obey Him whatever the cost. Being holy also means believing that you're not holy. I'm going to say that again. Being holy also means no longer believing that you're not holy. It means that you're no longer to see yourself as a failure or to define yourself by your mistakes. We silence that voice that tells us that we're not good enough because as God's beloved, He sees you today as perfect and as holy in His sight. Do you see yourself that way? As special? As set apart for God's use? Because lastly, Peter says... You are God's special possession. And He gets to choose what to do with your life. You know, we, we think we know what's best for our lives, don't we? And for the lives of those whom we love the most. But God, who created us and sees us as His own special property, He sometimes has different plans for our lives, doesn't He? Have you, ever, have you picked up on that yet? The things that you own, that you possess, you get to choose what to do with them, right? You get to choose when to use them, how to use them, how long to use them. 
And that's how God actually sees you, as his special possession. And he says, I get to decide when to use you, how to use you, and how long to use you here on this earth. God tells us here that we are chosen, that we are royal, that we are holy, and that we are his. So that what? He tells us. So that we can show others the goodness of God. Through good times and bad. So that we can proclaim, that we can tell about the one who calls us out of darkness and into the light of his presence. You are chosen. And you have been chosen for a purpose. You have been chosen to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. No longer are you having to search for an identity. No longer do you have to hope for God's love and His mercy. I promise you, guys, God's loving hand is closely upon your life. It always has been. And it always will be. And He's inviting you today to join Him and become more fully alive. Therefore, in our time here, our brief time here on this earth, we have a purpose. When we put Christ at the center of every part of our lives, He becomes our cornerstone. And we open up this unlimited set of possibilities with God that take us on this adventure in life that we never could have possibly imagined. I have so enjoyed over the years watching you, watching each one of you, watching God's hand on your life, how God's used you, and through that, I have watched you become more fully alive. As God's used you in your time and in your resources and your gifts and your, your talents, things that you may have thought were fairly insignificant, and God has used you to make a kingdom difference. Each one of us who love God are living stones. But not to hide from the world when life gets hard. Not to store up that water, to hold on to those things that God gives us for ourselves, but to offer them and to give them away sacrificially for God's glory. For the last year and a half, we at Grace Community Church have been doing our best to live into a faith-filled vision for the future. This five-year plan that we have embarked on starting a year and a half ago to expand our campus and our staff, to invest more of our resources, more of our giving into ministries of local and global outreach to reach more of our city and our world for Christ, so that by 2023, one-fifth of our entire operational budget would be going right back out our doors into our community and in our world to make a kingdom difference for Christ. And our long-term goal is that even by the end of this process that we would be able to plant churches, at least one church in another part of this city to reach more people for Jesus. Last year, we completed the first phase of that, of that uh, campus expansion as you see out here today. This year, we've expanded our operational budget so that now 17.5% 
of our budget is going right back out into our city and our world. We're getting closer and closer to that 20%. And next year, by God's grace, that whole campus expansion that we did last year will be completely paid off, debt-free. Amazing. God's loving hand is on this place. You are his living stones here. You're helping people take one step closer to Jesus and to become more fully alive. You know, you may be here today and you may not think that you are all that significant in God's kingdom. You may see that your little contribution to this world may not mean all that much. You may see yourself as just a little insignificant pebble in the grand scheme of things and that God really can't use you to make that much of a difference in this world. But may you see yourself today as more than just an insignificant little pebble trying to survive or get by. May you see yourself as God sees you. He even knows the very number of head, hairs on your head, which says a little bit more for you than it does for some of the rest of us in this room. He delights in every little detail of your life, Psalm 37 says, and He wants to fully own you, to take you on the adventure of your life. So may you continue helping each other take one step closer to Jesus by being an authentic community with a heart to serve. May you be fully devoted followers of Christ who love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength and who love their neighbors as they love themselves. May you keep making a kingdom difference in Tucson and in Uganda and in all other parts of this world because every life matters to God. And in so doing, may you enjoy this adventure that God has you on. And may you sense God's hand leading you to become more fully alive. I love you all. Amen.